On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. This is Rachel from C-SPAN's podcast team. If you read nonfiction books and thought-provoking discussions with authors spark your interest, you'll find the Book TV newsletter a valuable learning resource for staying informed. Hi, John here, one of the producers at Book TV. Think of the Book TV newsletter as your weekly literary update, your source for advance notice of program highlights, featured book festivals, and in-depth profiles of nonfiction authors. Explore the Book TV newsletter to organize your viewing and ensure you never miss a significant literary event. Be a Book TV insider with our weekly newsletter because Book TV is television for serious readers like you. Subscribe today at cspan.org slash connect. That's cspan.org slash connect. And welcome to About Books. In a few minutes, we'll speak with free speech advocate Mary Beth Tinker about an Iowa state law on age-appropriate books. But first, here's some of the latest news from the publishing world. Well, the Jewish Book Council has unveiled the winners of the 73rd National Jewish Book Awards. The awards were established in 1950 to recognize outstanding works of Jewish literature. The Council's Book of the Year winner is classical music critic Jeremy Eichler for Time's Echo, The Second World War, The Holocaust, and The Music of Remembrance. The book focuses on four composers whose lives were shaped by the Second World War and the Holocaust and how their work reflected those events. In other news, 21 new books have been added to one of the world's most famous and smallest libraries. Queen Mary's Doll's House was a gift to Queen Mary from the British people after World War I. The tiny replica of an Edwardian residence includes a library of two-inch books, books by famous authors of the 1920s, including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Thomas Hardy. Queen Camilla has contributed her own handwritten book now to the collection to mark the 100th anniversary of the dollhouse. And she also invited 20 other modern authors to do the same. And in independent bookstore news, You and Me Books has reopened in Manhattan's Chinatown six months after a fire gutted that shop. You and Me Books has been celebrated as the first female-owned Asian-American bookshop in the city since it opened in New York in 2021. The store's book list focuses on Asian-American authors and immigrant stories. A GoFundMe page set up by owner Lucy Yu ended up raising nearly $370,000 to return the store to its location on Mulberry Street in Chinatown. And speaking of New York City, the New York Society Library is marking its 270th anniversary this year with a celebration and new exhibit titled Belief in Books. The library is one of the first libraries in the United States, and the new exhibit focuses on Enlightenment-era books from 1754 to the outbreak of the Revolutionary War. Books on display include Henry Baker's The Microscope Made Easy and Isaac Watts' The Improvement of the Mind. And now an interview with free speech activist Mary Beth Tinker about an Iowa state law on age-appropriate materials and school libraries. Mary Beth Tinker, for viewers outside of Iowa, what's Senate File 496, and what does it have to do with school libraries in the Hawkeye State? Thanks for inviting me. It's so good to be with all of you. Senate File 496 is a bill that was passed last spring in Iowa. It's a censorship bill, 
And the district federal court in December ruled that several major parts of it cannot be implemented because it's unconstitutional. So the bill, the law has three parts. One of it says that there can be uh, no age appropriate, there can be no books in public school libraries in Iowa that are not age appropriate and that they cannot contain any kind of um, sex acts in the K to 12, kindergarten to 12 age group, except for the Bible, that's accepted. So that's one part of it. And what is age appropriate? Um, that kind of rules out a lot of things that would be age appropriate. I'm a nurse and work with children and teenagers. So age appropriate, it's very age appropriate to talk about sex and sexuality. So that's one part of it that has been uh, stopped by the district court, federal court. The second part um, has to do with saying that there can be no discussion of gender identity or um, sexual um, orientation. So the court also has uh, ruled that that should be stopped. Uh, there's an injunction against that part of it also. And the court says it's it would be considered sort of a don't say gay thing, except that the court said, this really says don't say anything. Because if you can't talk about gender and you can't talk about sexual orientation, that covers heterosexual issues also. So that's the next part of the bill. And then the third part of actually, it's, it was a law passed by the legislature and signed into law by the governor, Kim Reynolds. The third part of it says that if any student um, says that they would like to have different pronouns or if they have you know gay identity, that the school staff is required to report that to the parents. That part was not um, ruled against by the court because the court said that the plaintiff, the student plaintiffs were already known uh, to their parents. So they didn't have standing in that area. But uh, the first two parts of it have been stopped. So really it's a law uh, censoring what can be talked about in Iowa. The court said this is of all the laws in all the states and there are over half the states that have introduced laws like this but the district court for iowa said this is the most sweeping broad law that they know of and they search various ones so it's one of the worst ones it's really to suppress controversy it's to stop students it's about children's rights and teenagers rights and saying that young people students don't have a right to uh, see books like this um, that might be controversial in various ways. And so the court, the district court said that this is a violation of First Amendment rights for students, for authors, and for publishers, and probably for teachers as well. And the Des Moines Register uh, did a study as of October of last year, some 450 books had been pulled off shelves in Iowa school libraries as a result of this law. Uh, in, in terms of what happens from here uh, with this case, uh, who, is the, who are the ones challenging this law in Iowa? The American Civil Liberties Union uh, challenged the law along with, I think, Penguin Publishers, and they are the ones that secured the uh, temporary injunctions against the law. Um, but yes, over 500 books apparently have been removed from school libraries, but a couple of school districts have put back some of the books um, since this injunction was uh, ruled in Dece on December 29th, uh, just this last December.
And you mentioned uh, earlier that you're a nurse, uh, but uh, explain also why this fight is so personal to you taking place in Iowa. Some folks may have heard of the case Tinker v. Des Moines. Yes, as I said, this case is all about young people's rights to have a say about the issues of their lives. Young people are a group that is too often disrespected and discriminated against. When I was growing up in mighty times, just like now, the main issues were racial justice and the war in Vietnam. And my father was a Methodist preacher. My mother and father both believed that we should put our values into action. And they became involved with the Quakers also. And so a small group of us, when I was in eighth grade in 1965, decided to wear black armbands to school to mourn for the dead in Vietnam, all the dead, and to uh, support a Christmas truce that year. We actually heard about black armbands a couple of years earlier when the Birmingham children, the Birmingham Children's Crusade, which was a group of 2,000 black students who protested for racial justice in Birmingham, and I know a lot of your listeners know about that, but the white supremacists then in 1963, to punish the Birmingham children, they bombed their headquarters, the 16th Street Baptist Church. And so James Baldwin, and an amazing man named Bayard Rustin called for people all over the country to wear black armbands that year to mourn for the children, the four girls, Cynthia, Addie Mae, Carol, and Denise, who were 11 to 14 years old. And there was a call to wear black armbands all over the country and to have memorial services for these little girls. And so that's exactly what we did in Des Moines, and that's the first time we learned about black armbands, that they're a symbol of mourning, of sadness, and grief. And I know there are a lot of young people right now in our country and in our world that are feeling a lot of sadness and a lot of grief. And I'm, I was a trauma nurse with children and teenagers. And so I like speaking with students about these issues and encouraging them to speak up about the issues that affect them because as I found out, it's actually good for their health. It's good for their mental health, their physical health, all of it to express themselves and to advocate for their own interests. Tinker v. Des Moines decided 55 years ago in February uh, 1969, uh, the column in the Des Moines Register by Mary Beth Tinker just a couple weeks ago. I fought suppression of student speech in the 1960s and Iowa is repeating that history. Mary Beth Tinker, if a parent has objections about a book in a public school library, should they get a say about what their child should or shouldn't be able to, to check out of a school library? Yes, I think they should talk with the student about it. And I think the student should have some say about it also. The ruling in Tinker in 1969, as you said, was a ruling by seven to two. It's a very strong ruling for the rights of students free speech in public schools. And it says that schools should not be enclaves of totalitarianism and that students are persons under our constitution and that neither students or teachers leave their constitutional right to expression when they enter the schoolhouse gate. So I think parents you know, who care about their students having agency and having you know, the opportunity to learn and grow should talk to their students about these controversial issues. Tinker is really the, the case and the ruling are about controversy and that we must have controversy in life. If we don't, it says right in the ruling, basically written by 
Justice Abe Fortas, controversy is necessary for education and for democracy. So there's always going to be controversy in life. And so many students are speaking up about so many issues today. Some are speaking about LGBTQ issues. Some are speaking about racial justice or race and racism. Some are speaking about Palestinian rights. And that's a huge uh, issue today that I see so many students speaking about. Some students in my area here were recently censored from the high school. They wanted to show a movie uh, about that called The Occupation of the American Mind. Students are speaking up. I have articles here of the sixth graders, seventh graders who want to you know, read books. There's a book that called Ambitious Girl. This nine-year-old girl is saying, why, why, why are they censoring this book? Um, students speaking up about so many things. So I'm just feeling, I feel that you know, parents should be involved with their students and respecting the students and let them have some say also about what's important to them to learn about and to talk about. You talked about the issue of age appropriate. That was a big part of this law, trying to define what age appropriate means. Governor Kim Reynolds in, uh, in a press release about Senate file 496, this is part of, of what she said. She said, there should be no question that books containing sexually explicit content as clearly defined in the Iowa law do not belong in a school library for children. The fact that we're even arguing these issues is ridiculous. The real debate, she said, should be about why society is so intent on over-sexualizing our young children. Well, I'm a trauma nurse. I've worked with children and teenagers my whole career as a nurse, as a family nurse practitioner. And I believe that students and children of all teenagers need to be able to talk about sex and sexuality. And they want to. And students, I think, are a lot more willing to talk about controversial things than adults. It makes adults nervous sometimes. Maybe it makes Kim Reynolds nervous. I don't know. But I know that students are willing and want to talk about things that affect their lives. And so... You know, I just feel that, you know, labeling these books like sex education as pornography is wrong, wrong, wrong. And students get that, too. They want to be able to, you know, deal with the issues that affect their lives. I think it's really I see all of this in the context of the issue of children's rights and teenagers rights. And as I said, kids have always unfortunately been disrespected. I can just I look at one thing as a public health nurse also. What is the age group most likely to live in poverty? It's children and teenagers. And that kind of says it all about how our society disrespects young people. It's not because children don't work or teenagers don't work. It's because as soon as their parents have them, their parents are more likely to live in poverty with all of those ramifications of housing and schooling and you know all those things that uh, stem from poverty. So, I mean, there are so many examples we could give of how young people are disrespected but this is really another example of it, I think, uh, what Kim Reynolds is saying. Do any of the school boards in Iowa have a voting student member on the school board? No. So uh, out of 13,000 school boards in the United States, there are only a handful that have voting student members. And so I would urge you know, people to look at that sort of thing. Have the students made these decisions about the books? Have the student, has anyone weighed in with the students before these laws are proposed? Are the students part of making the laws? I don't think so. When you talk about these laws outside of, of the Hawkeye State itself, the American Library Association, Association has tracked 
book bans uh, or attempted book bans at libraries for 20 years. And they said that 2023 was on pace to hit a record high after 2022 hit a record high in the years that they've tracked this. Why do you think that is right now, especially uh, as we look back now 55 years since Tinker v. Des Moines? Why is it that young people are not having a say about these issues and it's really in a, it's in a bad time? Well, teachers' rights and students' rights go together. And in the Tinker ruling, it says that neither students or teachers leave their constitutional rights. So they're always usually linked. And when it's a bad time for a student's rights, like now, it's always usually a bad time for teachers' rights. And the reverse is true also. When it's a good time for teachers' rights, it's a good time for students' rights. So why is this a bad time for students' rights and teachers' rights? Um, it's a time of people, I think, feeling fearful and not knowing what to do. And so they feel maybe they need more control. And what's an easy place to take that? Young people. It's always been a first way you know, for people to have some control over their life, I think. I really don't understand it myself. I'd like to try to understand it, though. Do you think it's a good time to be a school librarian, how hard that job is right now? And no, not at all. But it is a good time for librarians to stand up and speak up. And I admire librarians so much. I have an article right here about a library in Virginia where they tried to censor the library, but it was the community fought and they said, no, we want our library. Virginia tried to, you know, this town in Virginia wanted to censor the school library and shut it down instead of having books that were controversial, but everyone spoke up and they stopped that. And that's going on all over the country. And I urge people to get involved with your local community, get involved with your library, support your library. I'm a huge fan of librarians, teachers, students, and of course, parents, is it's not so easy for parents either. So I think it's important to get take some leadership from your kids also and listen to them about what they say is important for them. So if a parent does have a concern about a particular book that they know is available for their child to possibly read at a school library, what do you think is the proper process that they should go through? Well, I think it would be good to read the book, first of all. A lot of times you'll hear criticisms about books that parents haven't even read. So yes, of course, read the book. Um, you know, maybe you can talk to some other parents or talk to some students who you respect uh, and have them see what they think of it too. Look, and you can go online and see what other students, other parents around the country are, are doing as far as that. But just to censor things is not the answer. And we know from history, the book bannings, book burnings are something that is done in authoritarian cultures. And it's it was a hallmark of the Nazi period. And we don't want to have book censorship and, and the censorship of topics in the United States. It's very important to speak up and speak up against censorship and to allow students especially to talk about the things that are important to them, even when it's controversial. Of course, I always encourage students when I speak to classes or, or any group of students, we have to talk about these things with respect for each other. And there are communication techniques we can learn. One is called Laura, listen, affirm that you heard the person, then respond. But always listen and respect the person that you disagree with. And so, you know, I think we have to find ways to have dialogue 
with people that we disagree with instead of just censoring. Because when you sweep things under the rug, it can come back to backfire also. I was just reading about a play that was censored in Indiana about LGBTQ issues. The school wouldn't allow it. And so the kids end up putting it on at the local playhouse. And of course, hundreds and hundreds more people saw it than than would have if it hadn't been censored. So a lot of times um, censorship doesn't really work when it comes to just you know sweeping issues under the rug that are important to students, that students need and want to talk about and to learn about and to read about. And they should have a right to read about these things that sometimes make adults a little uncomfortable. The op-ed in the Des Moines Register, the headline again, I fought suppression of student speech in the 1960s and Iowa is repeating that history. It's by guest columnist Mary Beth Tinker. I uh, want to ask you before we go about one more book. Uh, the headline is 101 Changemakers, Rebels and Radicals Who Changed U.S. History. It came out in 2012. Figures included in that book, Rosa Parks, Mark Twain, Albert Einstein, and Mary Beth Tinker. How's it feel to be included among that group of people? Well, thank you. I'm very humble, and I feel very happy to be included in that group, and also to the group of Iowans and others who took our action with us to speak up about the Vietnam War. It wasn't just Mary Beth Tinker. There were many others. And this case, Tinker versus Des Moines, involved our amazing lawyer, um, Dan Johnston, and other, and actually some of them are featured in this book that just came out, which is also controversial, From Here and Queer. It's about Iowans who are gay, LGBTQ, and I'm in that book, and I'm glad to say that. But the censorship now is violating the spirit of Tinker and other cases, like PICO, Long Island versus PICO, which is another case that had to do with school censorship of school library books. And I encourage everyone to look at that case as well. So yes, we do not want to violate the important cases that have ruled in favor of books, in favor of learning, and in favor of young people and teachers and those who who care about them. Thank you so much for having me. Mary Beth Tinker, thanks for your time on Book TV. And you're watching About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Well, each week, dozens of new books are published. Here's a few. Reuters reporter Ernest Scheider takes a look at the worldwide competition for critical materials and minerals used in the development of devices such as cell phones and electric cars. That book is entitled The War Below, Lithium, Copper, and the Global Battle to Power Our Lives. And former New York City taxi driver turned comedian and Fox News host Jimmy Fela is out with a new book. It focuses on censorship and it's titled Cancel Culture Dictionary, an A to Z guide to winning the war on fun. And one review of a recent book to note, the Washington Post's Brandon Tensley takes a look at historian Raymond Arsenault's newly released biography of the late Georgia Democratic congressman, the civil rights icon John Lewis. The nearly 600-page book is entitled John Lewis in Search of the Beloved Community. Mr. Tensley writes in the Post that the book, quote, sometimes drains its subject of his dynamism, focusing on the bare facts of his life at the expense of emotional punch. The result is a work that doesn't quite resurrect Lewis, turn text into flesh, even if it promises to be a compelling academic tool. And this week on our Afterwards program, writer Ijoma Oluo takes a look at how everyday Americans are fighting to make change in their communities. Here's a look. 
I would say it's really important that we do this sort of self-analysis, this, this reflection without shame. We have all been programmed by society to be ableist, to be racist, to be sexist, to be classist, right? And so we need to be able to look at that without feeling shame while still being you know, accountable to harm that we cause. We all have it in us. And even when I was talking with disabled activists, they were saying that they struggle with trying to measure the work they do in these ableist frameworks. You know, can you put a dollar on it? Can you measure it in this particular way? Would someone say that you're being productive and not, you know, are you doing what you need to do? Do you have inherent value as a human being because you exist? You don't have to prove that. And I think that is so fundamental to this work. And yet it's so easy for us to feel like in movement work that we have to prove our worth. We think we can convince people if we can just prove that we are good enough and special enough and you know productive enough that we deserve to live. But the fact that we have to is an insult to our very humanity itself and the idea idea that we need to prove it. And when we buy into that, we're actually giving credence to that thought that there's something we could do that would make it so that we deserve to not live or not have freedom or not have full rights. And so we have to be really aware and be open to when we're being taught about it because it harms us and it absolutely harms people with less privilege than us. A reminder that Afterwards airs every Sunday at 10 p.m. on Book TV. Well, thanks for joining us for About Books, a program and podcast produced by Book TV. We'll continue to bring you publishing news and author programs and a reminder that you can get this podcast and all C-SPAN podcasts on the C-SPAN Now app. You can also watch online anytime at booktv.org.